All right, guys, welcome back to Ag with Emma. We are going down to the good old Texas today, and I'm sure you'll hear about how great Texas is from our guest today. We've got Farmer Dan, and if you guys are not familiar with the good old Farmer Dan, you're going to get real familiar with him today, hopefully, and just learn more about Texas agriculture, what he does, and some different agricultural practices that happen down there. So, Dan, you can introduce yourself, and we'll learn all about you. Well, thanks for having me on, Emma. Uh, my name is Farmer Dan. Uh, farm here in the Texas Panhandle. We raise wheat and milo, or some people might know it as sorghum. Been doing it for a few generations now, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's about it. Other than social media, no one would know who I am, and sometimes I'd rather it that way, but it is what it is, and just trying to show people what it's like to be an ag yeah so basically the summary of what dan just said is that he's a social media bum no one would care what he does other than if he didn't have an instagram handle <laughs> and that's how it goes so uh, just to start off with because farmer dan is your social media handle name so that's what a lot of people yeah. refer to you as can you start about how you got started in that um no idea uh a few years ago like back in 16 or maybe 2015, I just downloaded Instagram and Farmer Dan came to mind as my handle and it stuck and it's done real well for itself. And uh, I don't know, it, I didn't really start getting famous till, I don't know, 2019, if you want to even call it famous. And uh, things have just kept going and going and here I am. So. Yeah. Got about oh, over a hundred thousand followers on different platforms, and although that's not a huge deal to some, and you know I've worked for it and been trying to grow things. But that being said, if anyone's in the market for a TikTok account, I will sell my TikTok account for one dollar per follower, and uh, you'll have a great fan base. But you know, just gotta find the patsy for that. Well, gotta find your patterns um yeah yeah i don't even remember how i found you probably from everyone else but um it's some pretty cool stuff that he shares if you want to get familiar with the equipment they run he shows a lot of equipment stuff and as a girl or is not having an equipment background it's been pretty cool to see all that stuff and what he does um can you talk about just a more in-depth about your guys's not farming cycle but like the oh, rotation right. of things and everything yeah so here in Texas, you kind of have to be, or at least up in the panhandle, you have to be careful about like what you uh, plant and, and what you use for your crops because there's not a whole lot of rainwater involved. Uh, in fact, we haven't had any sort of really good moisture since I want to say August, really. We got a little shower in September, but that was about it. So, and, and that's a little <clears throat> over the top for us. Usually we get some snow here in the winter and we're supposed to get some this month or Wednesday. But anyway, so what we do is you take a section of land, which is 640 acres or however many square feet you want to put that into. And uh, we'll, we'll put that into thirds. So right now we have a section of land and there's obviously three thirds with it. One third is in crop right now with wheat. One, one third had milo on it, which is our summer crop. Uh, it's been harvested though, so it's stubble there. And then the other third, the last third has wheat stubble from last summer's crop as well. So what we'll do is obviously we'll raise wheat 
the one third that has the wheat on it will cut it this summer. The one with the Milo stubble will summer fallow that, which basically means plow it when it needs plowed and uh, plowing by like just barely scratching the surface with anything <clears throat> until like September, which one will plant our wheat in that field. And then the last one, wheat stubble, uh, we actually no-till that and uh, we will raise Milo on it uh, in the summer. So we're always doing a constant rotation. That way we can control weeds a little bit better. We see a lot of uh, herbicide resistant weeds right now just because of the practices that have been in place in years and no one's really to blame for that. It just is what it is. So <clears throat> being able to hit a piece of ground with a plow one year and then spray it another year kind of uh, builds an ability to kind of just keep things under control. And it's not so fine because we've, we've got a lot of land and we only got like two thirds of it in crop at the, old, the entire time. There's always one third that's out into like I-staters or mini Odins or whatever. That just doesn't make sense. But they also get, you know, four or five times the rain amount that we get and their soil is a lot better too. But <clears throat> that's what we do. And it's worked well. I mean, it's hard to make a living. Um, one acre for <clears throat> for like a Minnesotan would equal probably 15 acres here in terms of cash flow. So when I say we farm, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, however many acres, people are blown away because we don't have that much equipment to support it. But at the same time, we're only dealing with a third of that acres per, you know, crop. And so it's not like we're having to run 10 combines for, you know, 10,000 acres or whatever. It just kind of, it varies. Yeah, those are all very good points. And from somewhere that irrigates, like we have pivots that get split up into, so I think there's four pivots on one section. So they, you know. Yeah, quarter milers. Well, exactly. And so it's just always odd to me when I see these huge big fields of like, no irrigation they're not even like circles or squares it's just like wherever the heck the field is um can you talk about some of the challenges that you have with dry land farming and kind of just what it is uh the differences and we'll go from there well i mean money would be nice i mean we raise wheat and milo and milo the markets are weird on milo it follows corn but it's always like a buck or two or ten below what corn is then when you got wheat, I mean, usually it's, it's all right. It's, it has, it started down at $3 when I started farming back in 18, like actually farming land for my own, but uh, it kind of just varies. The hardest, just the hard thing is getting it through the year. I mean, you can have everything lined up, but if you don't get any rain, I mean, you've, you've lost a crop and lost a lot. And so you kind of got to be careful about that. Uh, I don't know. For me, I don't see farming being as big of an issue as water for our area. The, there's this thing called an Ogallala, which is literally a cave system underneath. I think it goes from mid-Texas all the way to Nebraska, and it's just a big cave system that holds water, and that's what has provided, you know, your irrigation system, everything there. Well, and, you know humans the way they they are we're depleting it a lot faster than we can replenish it and it when it comes down to it you know guys are spending tons and tons of 
water on corn that's going to raise, you know, maybe two, 30 bushels, which isn't bad, but uh, we've got enough corn. Uh, I think it's time to re realize that we maybe need to look at different alternatives. And I say we as in I, but I mean, we don't have any irrigation, but what scares me the most is like, literally we could be 10 years away from being inhabitable here and where I grew up just because without water, obviously I'm, no one's going to survive. So that's kind of the big thing. I mean, there's some humongous farms around here and all they care about is moving into an area, building up sprinklers and developing the land and then uh, using it till it's gone and then moving on. I mean, they're locusts and it's hard to defeat. It's hard to realize what's going on until it's too late. And I don't know, just going to have to see and uh, hope that things turn around. Cause if not, we could, we could easily be looking at a lot of America being in trouble in terms of just water without it. We won't survive. Yeah, water is definitely an issue that keeps me up at night for sure. And like, especially in flat areas where you guys don't have reservoirs and mountains. I mean, you have the Oglala Aquifer, like you said, um, which I talked to Kale Carlson about that. And, you know, if you put the whole Oglala Aquifer on top of the state of Nebraska, he said it'd be like a 40 foot tall foot, hut, like a wall of water over the whole state. Yeah. But I've heard that it's drying up. I don't know. I don't pay attention to that, but we should pay attention to the water issues because that's what's going to nip us all in the butt. You know, it doesn't just affect yeah. Texas and Nebraska. It affects everywhere. Well, and it's it's not just some little, like, bowl. I mean, it's there's caverns, there's high spots, there's low spots. And that's why we don't have any irrigation around us because there's not enough water to support the irrigation. So you might get, like, a, I don't know, four or 500 gallon well out of it but it's not going to be something that you'd want to spend a lot of money on so that's, that's like enough to take a couple showers <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so you got to be careful about that and so you know it, it just depends on where your priorities are if you're wanting to conserve and take be good stewards of the land you'll will take that in mind but if you're just a greedy son of a gun then you'll do whatever in order to make a buck yeah and that's like the big competition is like not competition but that's the issue you have people farming for the greedy aspect of it where you don't really make a lot of money in farming unless you're like to the point where you don't care about anybody else except yourself and you got the yeah. people that are farming because that's what they do and they care about the land and they want to see the future of it yeah so it's just it's hard and i was about to ask you if you guys could irrigate if you got to that point but it sounds like you can't you know, we've, we've been offered irrigation ground in terms of like to rent or even to buy, but the issue with, with dry land farming versus irrigating farming, at least around here, it, obviously it's just two different types of ball games. Cause when, when it comes down to it, if I was to have irrigated ground, I'd be raising corn and cotton. And although we could just buy a corn header and be fine, uh, cotton requires a a harvester or strippers, a lot of people might know it, or picker. There's pickers, but not up this far north. And I mean, you'd have to strip till. There's a lot of things that go in play. You'd have to have parts to keep up with the stupid uh, sprinklers, just tons of stuff that we're just not set up for. And truth be told, don't tell anyone, I'm kind of lazy. And irrigation is not something for a lazy man. Well, I mean, you almost skipped the podcast and take a nap, so I already knew that. 
got that down. <laughs> yeah, no, and but you know, it's it's getting to that point where irrigation would be nice, but I don't want to be part of the problem either. Yeah. Uh, so, and there's laws and regulations that keep guys from in shape, but the issue is, is if you're big enough, you need to grease the palm of some tutti frutti, or you can be on the board, which one of the guys that uh, has a farm that's pretty big. He's on the water conservation board. And so it's literally just a slap on the wrist for him because he's, you know, a BTO for lack of a better word, which is a big time operator for those who don't know. So, you know, it, it just, things just don't look good now, but you know how that saying goes, the bigger, the bigger they are, the harder they fall and they're going to affect a lot of people, but um, it happens, you know, nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it's just super unfortunate. Like you said, irrigation is a lot of work. Like I love the work of irrigation and I don't understand how some people don't associate that with farming. They're like, that's not, you know, I don't want to do it. I'm too lazy. It's like, but you're a farmer. You're supposed to like work, you know, but it's like a lot of people are not a fan of how much work goes into irrigation. Well, if I could raise 350 bushel corn or whatever you guys raise up there and make, I don't know, hundred thousand billion dollars per year i'd be down for it but for here i mean i don't i would say an average irrigated corn crop you're not going above 200 yeah i just don't think so it's just too hot you know and that's mm -hmm. that's the issue is you can water all you want but in the summertime that corn gets baked pretty yeah. hard and so you just gotta i don't know i've worked irrigation for a year and a half or a uh, farm around here and it was fun. It was good timing. It was good paying, but uh, it's not something I'd want to make a living for. Just not my cup of tea. I'd rather have a bolt in my tire and have to wait or something. So, yeah. Um, so with the generational changes of your farm, has there been a shift in the crops you guys grow and the practices that you guys use, or has it always been just like hot and dry? You know, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know where to go with this, but I I don't believe in global warming, but something sure has changed in terms it's, of- It's climate there. change. It does change. Yeah. You know, we have to acknowledge that. It all shifts. It's but a it's natural human cycle. Global. When the Lord comes back, there's going to be global warming, but that's because he's going to light the world on fire. But and looked that up in Revelation. Anyway, but I think what's going on is, I remember as a kid- I mean, every winter we could get on our roof of the house from just the drifts of snow. We'd get, we'd always get blizzards because there's always wind, right? So, I mean, we could get like three inches of snow, but I mean, it'd be piled way up high. And, you know, practices have changed. We've improved a lot. We, uh, we used to be strictly conventional till, and then we started dipping our toes in the water with uh, some no till and, I have looked at cover, cover crops. I don't think they're feasible for our area just because we're so focused on moisture. And as of right now in this area, if it's not a cash crop, it's a weed. And I don't think people understand that for our area. Um, in terms of just generational differences, I mean, so my dad is 40 years older than me, give or take. And obviously he doesn't really understand the social media aspect. He likes it. I mean, I've showed him some of this stuff, but he wouldn't, you know, it's something that he doesn't hold value to. 
And so I kind of have to be careful with that, but uh, farming and switching generations, especially when you have a lot of siblings, even though that, I mean, I would get along with most of them, there's always going to become issues when there's money involved. And so you got to really look at the aspects of, so when, and when my mom and dad pass away, there's eight of us kids. So I don't know, dad owns quite a bit of our acreage that we farm. And so that's the debt and the, and the land will be passed on. And you kind of got to know where your, uh, I guess, lines are for crossing and whether or not, and be careful about it because he can have it all lined up. And I hope, I know he does, but you never know family when, until money gets involved and that's for everyone. I don't care who you are and that can go bad or worse or okay, or just whatever. But the biggest issue is just family farms go under when they change hands, just because of how, Oh, it's a taboo to speak about it to, to your dad or who or your grandpa or whoever. I know guys that are, 40, 50, maybe 60 years old, and they still don't make many decisions on their farm because their dad does it all. And thankfully, dad does. I mean, all of my ground that I farm, we're, I'm partnered with dad, but if there's a decision to made, I make it. I mean, it's not him. I still, you know, I do all that, but there's danger when it comes to family farms because you get so comfortable and just sitting there and then there's a sudden death and then all of a sudden you're, you're put in the world of, you know, what the heck do I do kind of stuff. So I think, and I think there's people that specialize in like farm takeovers or what I can't think of like the farm succession planning. There we go. Dang gummit. You're smart. And you know, that'd be interesting to, to hear about like just talking with some people. Cause there's gotta be some good stories out there about what all has happened and you know, as time goes on, the farms are going to be less and less, and there's just going to be huger, huger, bigger, larger, <laughs> there we go. larger farms and more acreage, more debt, more equipment, more responsibility. And you got to go through it with fine, fine tooth comb in order to survive to the next generation if they want that. So, yeah, there you go. It brings up a good point because like everything, family or not, it gets tricky when money's involved and the world revolves around money. I've been talking about this ever since like the whole Canadian trucker thing started. I'm like, it all revolves around money. Everything. Yeah. Like no matter what it is, how good your intentions are or how good of a person or how bad of a person, it all comes down to the cash flow of it because that's how society works. And so yes. not ignoring that, I think is going to be, you know, when you acknowledge that that's something that plays into your family succession planning like that knowing it's there is better than not knowing, you know? Yeah. So that's a really good point. But, um, and then another question I have for you kind of shifting the focus is how networking has paid off for you as a farmer. Cause I'm going to take February to like hyper-focus on the payoff of networking and agriculture. So if you could give us yeah. a couple of thoughts on that, that'd be great. Well, you gotta be careful when it comes to that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I've learned a lot. I've, I've actually, speaking of the, of the Canadian convoy kind of deal, I've, I've uh, reached out to, I don't know, all the Canadian people that I follow. 
and I've asked them what they think of it. And I mean, honestly, most of them are for it. There, there's a difference between a Texan being gung-ho and a Canadian being gung-ho. Yes. And so uh, that was quite interesting. But I think networking is important, especially because we're sitting in a realm where, I mean, I can get on my phone and message an Australian. Obviously, they're asleep right now. But, I mean, the ability to talk to people that aren't within your uh, region is huge. And, and there's a couple of groups out there that have really dived into that. And it's been interesting to see because even if if you say you say you have a, a group chat and and you're talking with some guy from Illinois and I'm from Texas, I don't mind sharing some more personal stuff about my farm because they're not going to care. They're not going to come and cut, you know, stab me in the back for, you know, a quarter or a section or whatever. And so I think that's important to be able to have that ability to talk to other people and not be worried about the repercussions of it. Um, social media has given me a lot of, of opportunities. I've gotten to have brand new Chevys on the farm for a bit. Um, just, just demoed a Fent on the farm, which was a really cool opportunity. Uh, just here recently, I got sponsored by Precision Planting. Um, you know, there's some big stuff out there. And I think I've talked with Rob Sharkey about this and this might go off subject, but whatever. The big thing for influencers that I think they need to realize is they're worth something in terms of money. Um, you know, some company that makes toolboxes will say, Hey, Emma, we want to give you this toolbox and trade of you showing it. And they'll, they'll give that to any farmer. That's not anything special. They'll do that for anyone. What, what it comes down to is knowing your, your dollar signs worth. So, and that's hard to come by because you've got different audiences. I've got, I don't know, 33,000 followers on Instagram. Then that doesn't equate to a dollar sign really. But as soon as you get that paid sponsorship, you move forward with that. So Tutti Fruity from Amarillo, Texas says, Hey Dan, I want you to wear my jacket and product out there and it's great product but it doesn't get me any um i don't make anything off of it other than a sweet jacket which in the realm of actual uh i don't know not influencers but in the business world that's they're taking advantage of you every time and if they i don't know if they are doing it on purpose or not that's up to them but i think it's it's time to realize even if you're a, a quote unquote small account and people are reaching out to you, you need to be able to call your worth. And, and it's not all about money, but it sure is nice to eat every now and then. And so that's something that I've kind of just started realizing here after a while and, and opening my eyes to seeing like smaller influencers, they'll bend over backwards. And I was in that place at some point too. I know it was, They'll bend over backwards to get this thing from C company or something. And these guys, they'll drop it off at a guy's farm just in hopes of some, some, some business from them. And so it's social media is weird because you'll, you'll see that opportunity of looking cool and having the, uh, 
the show of, hey, they gave me this, but most people get that. So don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, that's well, kind of what I'm at. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because I see that a lot. I see the whole sponsorship thing and the I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with the whole sponsorship, but I agree with partnerships. I've been talking to a couple people about this lately and someone really opened my eyes to it. And they're like, no, you need to call it a partnership because when you're getting sponsored, that doesn't represent you, you know, like, and if it doesn't represent you, it takes the authenticity out of your stuff. And so I'm pretty sure that was Kelly Griggs that told me that. And I really agree with that. And I hope she's okay with me sharing that with other people, but it's like, you know, can't skip her out on giving her credit for that. But, um, I don't know. I've had a couple of people like reach out to me recently, like all within the last couple of weeks. And they're like, can we send you this? Can you make a video for us? Can you do this, do that? And I realized like, I'm going to have to start telling people no. Like if it doesn't represent me, I don't want it. You know, it's like, yeah, you can use my clout, but if it's like, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. bend over backwards, like you said, to make sure that you get business. Like I want to support well, you, but. You've got an audience too. And if they see you, Okay, so I had an email a few weeks ago from a guy that makes um, non-perishable foods, like something you put in a nuclear basement to, to be there until the end of time. And he mailed me five times within a, a week saying, Dan, I really want you. I think this will work for your company. And, you know, he'd throw out $5,000 per month or kind of stuff. But all it was was a pyramid scheme. I mean, really, and that's what most of the things are. And I don't think I would have even 1% of my following care one bit that, oh, Dan is prepared for a nuclear, if a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Anyway, way off subject, but you know, it's interesting because that you'll get that kind of stuff. And I guess you're right. Sponsorship, partnership, eh, you know, tomato, tomato for me. But I understand the the meaning behind that with Kelly and all that. But I don't know. That's an interesting aspect of it. But yeah. you're just going to continue getting that and just got to figure out what's what's important to you and what's important, excuse me, what's important to your following and not seeming like a sellout. At the same time, they've got to expect or they've got to realize that, you know, you're going to try to make some money off of this time and time again i'll see some tiktoker you know farm farmer zoid i think that's her name uh she got she got part she's partnered with uh precision and she, i seen her make a video about it and the comments most of them were just hateful saying oh you're still out you know blah 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 and most of those people are you know 70 year old farts that just with no username know. and no profile yeah. picture and yeah. two followers and a private account <laughs> Certainly <laughs> more. Anyway, and so I think there needs to be that understanding of yes, it's free to be a, a TikToker or 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 a Instagrammer or a redditor. I guess I just realized or just found out what Reddit was, and it looks like a disgusting place. But anyway, there's sorry. Anyway, there's time and thought and a lot of other things that go into place with any sort of influencing page, whether you're a thousand followers or hundred thousand followers and people don't realize that, but if they 
and and if, and when they see you trying to make a buck you know if they're that type of person they'll leave you and to them fair riddance i don't want to see you again kind of deal yeah. and so i think yeah there's my little spiel about that mm -hmm. yeah i agree um and i think everyone has I don't know. Like, I don't make any money doing what I do, you know, and I put a lot of work into it. It's totally like almost a full-time job, how much I put into this to make sure that people can be educated and have a resource to go to that they know that it's like true information with a side of personality. You know, that's something I like pride myself yeah. in. So when people are like, oh, you're a sellout for doing that for them. It's like, I want to support others if they're willing to support me, you know, because when they're sending yeah. me things, they're supporting me and they're like recognizing the effort that I put into this. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and you know, social media is not a good place, period. No matter what platform you're on. I spoke out about abortion back in September when Texas made a law, uh, the heartbeat law, which absolutely beautiful thing. Um, obviously people know where I stand on that, I hope. And since then I have not gained a thousand followers. And it's, it's interesting to me because beforehand, I, you know, I'd say I was getting 1500 followers a month and that includes un, unfollows as well. And now I'm lucky to get 10 followers per month. And that's been what, four months ago. Yeah. Cause I followed you right before you posted that and it was around 30,000. And you're yeah. still at 30,000 because like, that's definitely like shadow band or, or your content just sucks. <laughs> well, that's too. I mean, it doesn't take much for somebody to realize that obviously, but I, and that's an excuse too. I mean, honestly, and uh, anyway, but when it comes down to it, I mean, I've got some different avenues, but I just, I'm, I'm stuck and there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm, not going to back down from my views. Obviously I know I'm right. And so if Instagram or whoever's controlling it, isn't willing to understand that, that, or, you know, not censor people, which that is a big deal, especially on TikTok. Yeah. I just got banned the other day, not banned. I had a video removed that one about how yeah, all is plant-based. They removed it for harassment and bullying. And I'm like, I'm the only one being harassed and bullied right now by freaking vegans. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've seen tons of guys that were completely in the right and was getting harassed. They, I've seen death threats from from farmers or two farmers. To and, yourself. You've had death threats on TikTok. Yeah, I've, I've had some too. Uh, but and you try to report that and they don't care because it fits their narrative uh, not to you know defend people that are actually right and not liberal but yeah i got some death threats back this summer and now it was kind of deserved uh for my joke but at the same time it kind of well, blew me away no one really deserves to be threatened with death over the internet well i mean no matter how were... bad the joke is like i don't believe that's something because they wouldn't say it to your face and it's not something that needs to be said in a message or comment either it's like you don't threaten someone's life over a joke <laughs> i've got a hammer and if they want to come for me, yeah. Anyway, long story short, I made a video about, well, back in, it was the craze for guys to make a video saying, well, the government's going to pay us, you know, $3,000 per acre to destroy our crops. 
And if anyone knows a lick of sense about financial uh, stuff when it comes to farming, I would let everything go. I would plow up my neighbor's crop for 3000 bucks an acre. Okay, I wouldn't farm, obviously I wouldn't, but that it was a little bit of an exaggeration, but $3,000 an acre, you say I got a half a section at 320 bucks an acre, or 330, somewhere, no, 320. Anyway, I would, I mean, I would, and it's the government, they've already got control, so money is money, and I'd want the check first, but obviously that's where I'd be until... I just do it one year, keep all that money, and then buy more land. So, anyway, yeah, that was fun. And the video, it went pretty viral. I think it got, I don't know, six, 700,000 views before I turned it off the public guy because I got tired of the threats. But nine times out of ten, the threats were actually from other farmers. And that's what kind of blew me away is you would think they would know it's a joke for one, but just do basic math and you'd understand that there's no way even uncle sam himself could afford to do that so yeah, yeah. it all just brings a very interesting aspect that social media does not just in agriculture but in relationships that you have which leads to you know all that other stuff it's just an odd thing it's like it's a really helpful tool if you let it be because before i started the whole ag thing um i wasn't using social media as a tool i was using it to like you know be one of those you know i don't know basic white girls if you want to put that label yeah, on it but it wasn't that but it was like it's so i don't know i find it so much rewarding to just use it to put educational information out there and that's what i use it for so it's like and I don't even see myself as, as educational anymore. I used to be like that and it was fun, but anymore now I just show what's going on. And if people are educated from that, then I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I, you have to kind of figure out where your niche is. And there's people on social media that annoy the heck out of me because they're so preachy about like, well, not you, you're fun. You're fun. <laughs> you're fun about it but like there's people out there that every post is you know a mile long describing something about the farm and obviously they have tons of followers so it's working but for me that just doesn't entertain me I don't I used to watch tons of YouTube videos millennial farmer uh Welker some of the big guys and I don't know obviously they're still going without one view but it's interesting to just see that the different audiences those guys get because there's agriculture in there, but there's also, you know, some guy from New York City that's never seen one bit of a farm and being able to understand and show people that is unbelievable. And so I still watch some YouTube, but, you know, not every video that they come out with it gets old after a while and who wants to watch more accurate ag stuff after you spend a whole day doing that well stuff? you go home and play farming simulator so i don't think you can <laughs> well, say that <laughs> i'm a bto when it comes to farming simulator i've got all the money and i have two x9s four r nine rx's two eight rx's yeah so emma i'm very important wow. bto yeah. 
The only time yeah. I play farming simulator is when I'm trying to impress dudes when I go to their house and they actually have it. And then I, you know, wow. flip all the tractors and I drive off the road and I don't drive straight. And then I actually tipped a pickup up on a cliff one time and it was sitting on the bed of the pickup facing straight up on some waterfall. I don't even know. I don't know how to play video wow. games. So. No, and I used to didn't. I used to have like an old Xbox 360, and I'd play Call of Duty Zombies. That was all I did uh, when I could. But you know, be mature, and then you Call play of Duty to Farming Simulator. Perfect. Yeah, obviously, spend just sixty dollars for a stupid game. Sixty dollars so, for Farm Sim? Yeah, that's what it cost. Wasn't worth it. So. How many acres of Milo is that for you? <laughs> <laughs> um. 640 be, a whole section well now that'd be seven bushels of milo maybe eight just remember that next time you you know go out there and take care that's, of it i'm paying for my guys, farming simulator yeah that's how guys, a lot of guys think you gotta think by the bushel uh we were looking at putting some stuff on our planner this year and uh you know it's gonna cost i don't know Whole number out just to be fair, but say sixty thousand, that's a few truckloads of Milo to say the least. But that's one season that you can pay for it if you're not having to pay other things like for a stupid tractor, combine, you know, whatever. Exactly. So, so what can else, Emma? You talk about what sorghum is and what it's used for, just for anyone that doesn't. Sorghum. Yeah. So it's a drought tolerant crop. That's mainly why we raise it here. Um, it gets it gets sold to a lot of like feed yards. They'll mix it in with their other feed for pigs and uh, uh, cattle. Um, I know some guys that have sold it directly to China, which is pretty cool. Like, I mean, it went straight to the harbor and then, you know, boated over to China. The big thing about Milo is so right now, uh, well, let's let's just put it this way. It doesn't need that much moisture to, to make a crop. I don't think this is the right number, but I'm going to say it needs 10 inches of rain for the whole growing season in order to at least put out so you're above the red. And uh, not many people know this, but my dad holds, or held, it's been broke now, but dad hold, held one of the state records for dryland Milo. I think it's like 156 bushels an acre, which is pretty top tier. For, for dry land around here. And so, I mean, there's ability to make a lot of money from it. Nice thing is it's drought tolerant. It doesn't require a lot of water. The horrible thing about it is it's not Roundup ready. You can't spray on it. They just came out with some uh, technologies. I think the chemical is called Imaflex. We used it last year, it did really well, but you can't just go willy nilly and spray Roundup on it. Uh, because it'll kill it. I do know some guys down south that actually use Roundup to kill the crop so they can go and harvest it, but they plant like in February and all that. Anyway, long story short, um, basically we'll plant it in mid-June and we'll harvest it after Halloween. That's kind of uh, what goes on 90 day, give or take. And uh, it's, it's a weird plant. A lot of people would associate it with tobacco until it actually forms grain it's just real leafy and short and so it does really well uh but yeah that's kind of what milo is i don't know what else i'm missing but 
the county average around here is probably 70 bushels an acre if we can get rain. And uh, that that does okay for the inputs that you have on it. Yeah. How many pounds to a bushel for that? 56. 56. So it's like corn. Yeah. It's the it's, it's same thing as weeded corn. Okay. Because they're, I don't know, sometimes I, you know, it's like different ways. Sometimes it's off. Right? Yeah, there's, I, there's a crop, I can't think of what it is, but it was like 72 bushels uh, per bushel or whatever, something like that. Weird kind of stuff. I can't hmm. remember what it was now. Yeah, but there's different ones, like different yeah. weights. Different weights per bushel, but then everyone comes at you and they're like, no, it's not really 56. You can bring it in at 60, but it's water weight. And it, everyone came from my throat on that when I made an ag fat quiz about how many pounds per bushel of corn. And I said 56 and they're like, no, it's more like 60. And I was like, this is a Google search definition of what it is. So don't I, tell me none. <laughs> 56 is the requirement. If it's lower yes. than that, you get docked. If it's higher than that, you make more money. Exactly. And so, yeah, you're, you're correct. Yeah. These guys don't do anything. Well, they know how to make money if they have more than 56 pounds per bushel, right? Well, I mean, I haven't, I've yet to haul any weed in that's below 60. Yeah. So that's always good. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So that's good to know. But sorghum's really pretty. Like when the Australians post about it, Broadacre, and then when the you post about it. They know what they're doing. I follow yeah. Heath Lundby, I think. Yes, I'm in a group TikTok. chat with him. I'll probably he's send cool. this to him. Yeah. There you go. Now he, he's got some good stuff. He doesn't know who I am, but that's okay. Uh but no, those Australians, and they plant their milo on, I think, 60-inch rows. And so there's a lot more room for color and, and just beauty. And he knows how to do his stuff with a drone. My gosh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those Australians, they make it look pretty. I, I haven't gotten to that scale yet. But, uh, you know, there's always room for improvement. But it is a well, beautiful crop. You've got at least to take pictures for you now. So yeah, she no. can make it pretty for you. If you can grow it pretty, uh, she can make it look pretty on the magazines. <laughs> you can even make me look good. So that's, yeah, which is shocking. So yes. good job, Elise. Shout out to her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's doing a very big service for the world. That's my cook. So that's right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, she might not. Like that. Yeah, probably. Anyway, Elise is cool. I love her. I love interacting with her and She's just a very fun-loving gal with a lot of personality. So, so, but yeah, um, I can't think of anything else that I wanted to say other than thank you again. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Emma, you're making a mark on social media. I don't, I wouldn't pertain it to followers as much as just people that know you. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting. I would not want to do all the stupid research or the ag facts or stuff like that that's just i mean i don't, I don't that's not something it doesn't that appeal to you and that's okay <laughs> but it's cool seeing other people that weren't directly involved in ag which i believe that's kind of your backstory yeah right yeah so exactly seeing you pursue something like this just it kind of warms the heart because there's not many young people in ag i mean obviously you see them on social media but per capita you're looking at a ton of 60 year old farmers and very few young farmers. And that's kind of scary when you really look at it and think about that. But, you know, I, I applaud you for what you're doing. And I, I think you're doing a good job. You're going to go way further than me. I mean, you've got that base of just people that 
share your stuff and love it and you're not controversial like me either and so i mean i think you'll make it far and yeah. this podcast well, thank you. is one of the evidences of that yeah it's awesome just connect with people like i don't know i you know texted millennial farmer and he totally made an ag fact for me and like it's not just about the followers they have but just you know reputational people and being able to connect with them and like the fact that they're willing to help me up and it's just it's so cool so thank you for recording a podcast with me and i look forward to continuing to connect and hopefully see you down in texas sometime this summer because i'll be down there on harvest crew so super excited for that i am running cart so i i I told them i was like hey i want to run combine at least a little bit if you don't let me i might be sad (laughs) and they said they could probably who are you running with oh panhandle it's panhandle harvesting out of hooker oklahoma so (laughs) i'm gonna make jokes about that all summer long like i am a hooker (laughs) hooker, i'm making my way to hooker no that's not too far away that's about an hour away from our farm so obviously you better be able to see me at some point yeah and the little woman she'll be around yeah so yeah well cool yeah awesome well thank you so much again and i will have this posted up i don't know when it'll probably be in february sometime i'll just send you a link and you can share it with all your buddies so they can hear all about your wine and about your water and everything (laughs) yeah that's fine with me that's a deal that's a deal thanks for having me on of course and then for everyone else i'll have his socials in the description but he's pretty easy to find if you just type in farmer dan 97 so thank you again dan and we'll catch you guys on the next episode